Al Jazeera podcast. An epidemic is sweeping the United States. Researchers say it's as deadly as smoking 15 cigarettes every day and could lead to wide-ranging consequences. It can have profound effects on mental health as well as heart disease, stroke and dementia and links all of this to billions of dollars in healthcare costs. The US government's top doctor, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, even issued an advisory. He called it the epidemic of loneliness. Social connection is as fundamental to our mental and physical health as food, water, and sleep. And, and it's not only happening in the US. Around the world, people became acutely aware of their isolation during another health emergency, the COVID-19 pandemic. The great lockdown robbed us of our freedoms and our daily lives. Personal contact was prohibited. Millions of people were locked in their homes for weeks on end. But as the pandemic has ebbed, many are still struggling to find deeper connections. The levels of loneliness skyrocketed across the world. So much so that the World Health Organization has now declared loneliness a global public health concern. So how did we find ourselves in this crisis of connection and what could be the cure? I'm Natasha Del Toro, in from Malika Bilal, and this is the take. Hi Natasha, how are you? This is Naomi. How are you? Naomi, yes. good morning. Good morning. To find out more about what's behind this epidemic of loneliness, we did something that few people besides news podcasters regularly do anymore. We made a call. We talked to Niobe Way. She's a professor of developmental psychology at New York University. And I'm the founder of the Think and Do Tank at NYU called the Project for the Advancement of Our Common Humanity. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. It's something that I have been thinking about a lot even before the pandemic. This is an issue that um I've wrestled with myself and that I've really spent a lot of time thinking about. How did you start studying loneliness? I've been studying social and emotional development of children and adolescents since 1987 actually. Um hmm. and I was curious about teenagers because I worked in a high school with teenagers as a counselor in the 80s and the boys in particular were talking a lot about friendships and wanting to have close friendships and wanting to have a kind of emotionally intimate friendships and having a hard time finding those friendships and Natasha this is in the late 80s. Wow. Yeah. And so I began a career essentially of doing research on teenagers looking at how they talk about their social and emotional worlds and my research team follows the same kids over many many years. I mean that's so interesting this research that you've done even just giving boys an opportunity to express how they're feeling about loneliness because I yeah. don't know if they're often yeah. asked that question and I wanted to know you know even before we move on what what does loneliness mean to you? What I call the crisis of connection what a lot of people call loneliness To me what it means is what I learned from the boys. So uh essentially it's this disconnection that we have from ourselves and from each other and it's not just a disconnection with other people 
Essentially, it's a cultural problem. Mm. We're living in a culture that clashes with our nature. So in such a culture, I'll tell you what I mean. Our human nature is to want relationships, just like the boys show us. We want to be connected to other people and not just on a superficial level, on a deep level. And so then as we get older and they and they start to have to pressures to accommodate to cultural, so-called cultural norms, which is infused with ideological structure. So it's patriarchal, it's white supremacy, it's capitalist. All these ideologies are shaping how we grow up. And what those ideologies do is they privilege the hard side of ourselves, what's been deemed hard or masculine, over the soft sides of ourselves. If you grow up in a culture that only values half of your humanity, your, the so-called hard side, independence, autonomy, self, thinking, and devalue and dismiss and sometimes even mock the soft side, feelings, emotions, relationships, connection, vulnerability, all those parts of ourselves we, we demean in modern society. So the idea is that if we raise such a culture, then we, get, we become lonely. You know, when we talk about loneliness, what is the difference between, say, being alone, having a sense of solitude, feeling lonely, as in missing people, and, and a bigger issue of this sort of chronic loneliness? Maybe you could dissect those for me. So I don't, I, you know, I don't investigate lonely per se. So my research really talks about sort of what the phenomenon is, why we're having such a crisis of connection. I mean, what's clear from the data is that you can be together and feeling alone and lonely, and you can feel by yourself and not feel lonely. So it's not a matter of the number of people, it's the quality of the relationship that you're having. And we oftentimes think that if you're just surrounded by people, you won't feel lonely. And that's a really thin version of what it actually means to be human, because we actually want deep connection. So to me, it's, it's, I think we get stuck sometimes, and I even said this to the Surgeon General too, I, I think we sometimes get stuck in the prevalence question of how prevalent it is and exactly what the feeling is. And we don't talk enough about actually what do we know about what makes us not feel lonely, mm-hmm. right? We have to start paying attention to the quality of our relationships, not just the quantity. And so I just think it, we have to always talk about our cultural norms because it really is modern culture that's getting in our way. <laughs> and you mentioned the U.S. Surgeon General, who is the highest public health authority in the country, and it, it's published its first ever advisory on our epidemic of loneliness and isolation. Yeah. So obviously it's interesting that this is now being addressed on a, on a national level. Half of U.S. adults experience measurable loneliness, and it's greater among young adults. I'm curious, how is loneliness in this case measured? And, and what does that number even mean? Uh, you know, it varies. It's, it's such a, a popular investigation. I know it really varies. It's usually some kind of self-report survey that was done. It's, it's over thousands of studies at this point where they do national data collection around people self-reporting. But again, because oftentimes we're quantifying it rather than looking at the quality, we don't actually really have a sense of when people say, I'm very lonely, what they mean by that. For some people, they're just looking for friends. Some people have lots of friends, but don't feel deeply connected to anybody. Some people feel deeply connected to one person, but still somehow don't, you know, feel lonely in their lives. Along with those interpersonal connections is the connections of communities, 
which other researchers have explored through metrics like the American Time Use Survey. Over the years, that survey has shown declining participation in community activities like civic clubs, volunteer groups, and church gatherings. But Niobe doesn't think that that provides the full picture. I would say that's a symptom of it, that we don't, you know, we don't spend time together enough, but that's a symptom of our alienation. I mean, a lot of books claim that that's the reason. I would say that's, it's not the reason we're lonely. The question has to be said is, why are we spending less time in these organizations? Um, Why don't we see them as, you know, essential to our well-being? And it really is, again, you see it in all sorts of studies, the movement from the we to the me. So we're increasingly a me, me, me society, increasingly an isolated, you know, we don't want to hear other people's story, we want to only tell our own story. Mm -hmm. But in fact, that has serious consequences to our mental health and our well-being. So again, it's sort of like, you know, we're making these choices, even the way we use social media. You might think that cell phones bring us closer together, but new research shows technology can leave us feeling, well, disconnected. Social media and technology is not the reason for our loneliness. Mm. It's the way we use it. I mean, we've had technology to connect for centuries. It's called the telephone and letters. That's technology to connect, and that's not in person. And so we've had that for centuries, and we've deeply connected through letters and phone calls. So technology is not getting in the way. It's the way we use technology to basically that alienates us because we're not having quality conversations. We're definitely in a society where the the selfie reigns supreme. Mm. You know, it's the me, let me talk about me, let me talk about me, what's good for me, what's good for me. We have lost our way, Natasha, we have lost our way. But I'm curious with this U.S. Surgeon General report, there's something there, it it compares loneliness. And it's interesting when you're actually like the, the qualitative feeling of loneliness. This report compares loneliness to hunger or thirst, you know, a feeling that the body sends us when there's something that we need for survival that's missing. So what, considering that, what are the possible health consequences if this hunger for human interaction isn't fed? Very clearly in the neuroscience, it says we are social animals. We spend, uh, you know, our default system in our brain is the social network. I mean, essentially, we always think socially naturally. We are born in relationship. We need relationships to thrive. All we want, and this is me speaking, but this is me speaking from many years of knowing the data from many different disciplines. The fundamental need is each other. Darwin talks about it. I mean, that's how humans have survived is through human connection. And when we're not getting the connection, it leads to inflammation in the body, to physical health problems, to mental health problems, to dying earlier, cancer metastasizing quicker, wounds, Mm. healings more slowly when you're isolated. It leads to higher cortisol, all these things that disrupt your health. It makes you get flus more often. All this is coming from the data. So what you're saying is being lonely can actually make you sick. It can kill you. It can kill you. I'm going to be more dramatic. Isolation in its extreme form can kill you. Yeah. Wow. But it's, it's, and I always say, you know, human connection is not just a feel good issue. It is a life or death issue. After the break, how did we get to this point of life or death? And what can we do about it now? Welcome to Necessary Tomorrows. My name is Ursula. I am an AI. 
and I have inferred from your online activity that you have been feeling more dread than hope when you think about the future that is coming for us here in the 2060s. So I have created a course just for you to enhance your capacity for imagining different futures. Your class starts January 8th. Necessary Tomorrows, an audio series by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it where you listen to podcasts. Let me ask you, Niobe, when did loneliness begin to turn into an epidemic? Well, you know, I don't know what the Surgeon General would say, but for my data, as the culture became more me-obsessed, which really happened starting in the 80s with Reaganomics and all sorts of income inequality started to rise in dramatic ways, a lot of our disconnection, it appears in the data, it became just much more about making money, much more about the me, 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 capitalism coming in with a big C. And you start to see the craziness start to happen. Then in the early part of the 2000s with technology, you see us using technology in ways that exacerbates our, that enhances our me. Because Facebook was supposed to be a social connection website. And what it became very quickly is trying to get as many likes as you could from whatever you posted, which means it's now turned into, I'm so pretty, I'm so sexy, I'm so talented. So again, I don't, I, people oftentimes say, well, is it technology? Is it the problem? No, no, no. It's the way we use technology, right. you know, to reinforce our cultural values, which is all about the me. Yeah. You know, loneliness is not an individual problem. It is a collective cultural problem that needs to be solved collectively and culturally. You've been doing 35 years of research, watching the, some of the changes in our society, and then the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, can, can you maybe talk a little bit about the impact of the pandemic lockdowns on our feeling of loneliness and lack of connection? Well, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. So the pandemic obviously was a massive tragedy, a global tragedy, obviously. The, you know, the one thing that it did do, though, is it made us more attuned to what was happening to ourselves and each other. I mean, it made us more conscious. So all of a sudden, with the pandemic, when we were forced to stay in our homes or, or forced to not talk to each other for those who had to go out to work, made us obviously more isolated and lonely, obviously, um, but also made us more aware of how lonely we were even before the pandemic. So it just it basically heightened our consciousness and then people started to want to talk about it. That heightened consciousness and the conversations it led to happened all around the world after the pandemic. A quarter of the world's population feels very or fairly lonely right now. I'm Ellen Maese. I'm a senior research consultant here at Gallup. Gallup, a polling firm, and Meta, which owns Facebook, conducted the first global survey asking people in 142 countries how lonely or socially connected they felt. 49% of people surveyed said they were not lonely at all. 27% felt a little lonely. And 24%, which translates into more than a billion people, said they were fairly or very lonely. I think that's a really striking number when you think about how many billions of people that is who are experiencing loneliness right now and really contextualizes what the conversation is around this pandemic of loneliness. 
Countries with the highest rates of social connectedness ranged from East Asia to the Balkans to the Nordic region. One of the things that is so important about research like this is it really dispels some of those myths. You know, the countries at the top of the list were not just high-income countries or, you know, countries that I think we, we think of in terms of the strong social connection cultures. There were countries who were strongly connected all over the globe in every single continent. And yet there are also countries in every place where people are struggling with loneliness. Niobe Way from NYU's Project for the Advancement of Our Common Humanity has also researched other countries and cultures. She says loneliness and social connection are in some ways universal. I lived in China for I've lived all over the world and knowing the research from around the world. I don't I the fundamental thing is that we are as an, you know humans we're starving for each other. And I think there's variation in what those connections look like. And even the meaning of emotional intimacy, I think, varies. So for me, emotional intimacy, Natasha, here's is a funny thing to say to you, but it's oftentimes, to me, this kind of conversation is very emotionally intimate for me because mm. I'm being able to share my what I learned from people mm. and I'm sharing it with you and you're responding and asking questions. So I think the the notion of loneliness and the specifics of it probably does vary. But the fundamental need of, of the kind of what the Surgeon General refers to, of the hunger, that craving, craving for someone to please see me as I see myself and to please allow me to connect to someone in ways that we both see each other as we see ourselves. And, you know, it just, we're, we're so hungry, Natasha. My students are so hungry. Mm-hmm. In the classroom, I create spaces where they interview each other and these at the beginning of every single class, I give them a question like, tell me about a time you trusted someone and how that, how, you know, how you trusted them. And so by the end of the class, they have best friends, they have new best friends, they're feeling deeply connected. They, of course, want to take the class for the rest of their lives. <laughs> um, but, but the point is, it's easy. It's easy. You just turn to the person and ask a real question mm-hmm. and then ask follow-up questions and then encourage them to ask you the same question. And then get them to ask you follow-up questions. Bingo. Our research shows that it really does make people feel listened to, and it really does enhance connection. Among the Surgeon General's recommended remedies for the loneliness epidemic is to strengthen so-called social infrastructure. That means public spaces like parks, libraries, or volunteer organizations that can bring people together. But Niobe says it still starts with the individual. You have to start with psychology to to create structural change. That said like a real psychologist, Natasha. (laughs) We can always talk about structural change, but if you don't change the psychology of the the world, (laughs) we're not going to be able to create the effect of structural change. So what you have to do is understand that if the tool by which we're going to create change is nurturing our natural curiosity in each other, then you embed that in our schools, which is what we're doing in schools. We're, we're trying to do this. Schools and workplaces and homes and the way we raise our children in every single institution space that we're in, that we have to move from what's wrong with you to what can I learn from you? And then this is the big kicker. And then making it mutual. It has to go both ways in order to build the connections. And it actually takes practice, like learning a language. You can't just learn French when you're a little and then just remember it 20 years later. 
It's the same thing. You, we have to practice it. So create spaces of practice where we practice our relational intelligence and we can do it. We can embed it in what we do every day. So it's this idea of cultivating a culture of connection. Exactly. Exactly, Natasha. Bingo. A culture of connection. Exactly. And that's The Take. This episode was not made alone. It was produced by Miranda Lynn with Zaina Badr, Chloe K. Lee, Zonia Bagat, Suri El-Khalili, Ferenisa Campana, Khaled Sultan, David Enders, Amy Walters, Ashish Malhotra, and me, Natasha Del Toro. In from Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexander Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Nate Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.